Book Five, Book Five, Chapter One of A Class Book of Old Testament History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. L. A Class Book of Old Testament History by George Frederick McClear. Book Five, The Departure from Sinai to the Death of Moses. Book Five, Chapter One. Kadesh Barnea and the Mission of the Spies, Numbers 10 through 14, BC 1490. The period of the encampment of the Israelites at Sinai had now occupied upwards of a year. The covenant had been concluded, the law had been given, the tabernacle had been erected, the priests had been consecrated, and Jehovah dwelt in the midst of his chosen people. It was now time to think of marching onwards towards Canaan. As, however, the occupation of that country must of necessity be preceded by its conquest, an organization of Israelitish forces was the first duty. Accordingly, a census was taken of all who were fit for war, or about 20 years old, and the result gave a total of 603,550 fighting men, Numbers 1, verses 46, to whom, if we add the Levites, the women, and the children, we may conclude that the host numbered altogether between two and three millions. The first anniversary of the Passover was then duly celebrated, and on the twentieth day of the second month in the second year, the pillar of cloud moved from off the tabernacle, and this signal for departure having been given, the order of the march was marshaled. First, borne by the Kohathites, went the Ark of the Covenant, the lid of which was the throne of Jehovah, and was overspread by the cloudy pillar, Numbers 10.33. Then followed the tribe of Judah, the most numerous and the strongest of all the tribes, supported by Issachar and Zebulun, under the standard of a lion, the ensign of Judah. Then followed the sons of Gershon and Merari, bearing the external portions of the tabernacle, the coverings and the hangings, the boards, the pillars, and the sockets. They were succeeded by the tribe of Reuben, flanked by Gad and Simeon, marching under the common standard of Reuben, a man's head. Next came the rest of the Kohathites, bearing the sacred vessels of the sanctuary. Then the tribe of Ephraim, flanked by Benjamin and Manasseh, under the standard of Ephraim, the figure of an ox. And the long procession closed with the tribe of Dan, between Naphtali and Asher, with the standard of Dan, an eagle with a serpent in its talons. These arrangements having been made, the silver trumpets sounded. The silence of the desert was broken by the shout, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. Numbers 10.35 Compare Psalm 68, verses 1 and 2. And the march began. At this time there was present in the camp Hobab, who some supposed to have been the father-in-law, by others the brother-in-law of Moses. The Israelitish leader knew how invaluable would be the experience of one so well acquainted with every track and pass in the terrible wilderness they were now about to traverse, and he earnestly entreated him to continue with them and share the goodness which the Lord would show to Israel. Numbers 10.29 there seems little doubt that Hobab consented to accompany the people, and to be to them instead of eyes amidst the dangers of the inhospitable desert. In the course of three days, the host entered on the sandy plain which parts the mountain mass of Sinai from the tableland of the Tea. Having for more than a year enjoyed the pleasant encampment before the Mount of God, they no sooner entered on this arid tract than they gave vent to their feelings of discontent. During the journey from the Red Sea to Sinai, God had borne with similar manifestations of their weakness. But now that they had been brought into nearer and more visible relations with him, 
having the sanctuary in their midst, the ark preceding them, and the manna dropping upon them from day to day, their murmurings could not thus be passed over, but brought down instant rebuke and punishment. On this occasion, the divine displeasure was marked by the outbreak of a fire on the extreme outskirts of the encampment, which inflicted considerable damage, and was only removed by the intercession of Moses, who called the spot Tabera, or the burning, Numbers 11, verses 1 through 3. But this judgment had scarcely been removed when the same spirit of discontent broke out afresh. The mixed multitude which had accompanied them from Egypt, and soon afterwards the Israelites themselves, began to complain of the manna, this light food as they called it, and lamented the loss of the fish, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, and other vegetables they had enjoyed in the fertile valley of the Nile. So loud in general were their complainings that Moses, despaired of accomplishing the purport of his mission, and poured out his soul in prayer to God, begging for some relief from the burden of daily anxiety which weighed him down. In mercy towards his despairing servant, the Lord bade him select seventy elders and bring them to the door of the tabernacle, and promise to take of the spirit that was upon him and bestow a portion on them, that they might share with him the weight of responsibility. He also promised that, on the morrow, flesh such as the people had pined after should be given them, and that, not for one day only, but for a whole month, until it became even more loathsome to them than the celestial food which they had so lately despised. In obedience to this command, the seventy elders were brought before the tabernacle, and the Lord bestowed upon them a portion of the spirit that was upon the Israelitish leader, and they prophesied and did not cease. Two of their number, Eldad and Medad, though selected for this high office, either from accident or some other cause, did not accompany the rest to the appointed place, and though they remained in the camp and at a distance from the cloudy pillar, became inspired with the same spirit. This striking incident was announced to Moses by Joshua, who, jealous for his master's honor, thought that such prophesying ought to be prohibited, but Moses thought otherwise. Envious thou for my sake, he replied? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Numbers 11, verse 24 through 30. Compare Mark 9, verse 38, and Luke 9, verse 49. Shortly afterwards, the second promise of the Lord was also fulfilled. A strong wind brought up a prodigious number of quails from the sea in the proximity of the Gulf of Aqaba, which covered the ground to the extent of a day's journey on either side of the camp. For two days and a night, the people were busily occupied in collecting and spreading the birds abroad, probably for the purpose of drying them. So they did eat and were filled, for God gave them of their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust. Psalm 78, verses 29 and 30. But while the meat was still between their teeth, his wrath fell upon them, and he smote them with a severe plague, and slew the mightiest of them, even the chosen ones of Israel. Psalm 78, verse 31. And the spot where they were buried was named Kibroth Hata'ava, the graves of lust. From this ill-omened encampment, the host proceeded in a northeasterly direction to Hazaroth, which is thought to have been the modern Ain al-Hudura, and to have consisted of the unenclosed semi-permanent villages in which the Bedouins are found to congregate. Here a still severer trial awaited Moses. 
There arrived in the camp a Cushite or Ethiopian woman, Numbers 12 verse 1, whom he had married, and who is identified by some with Zipporah, while others believe her to have been an Egyptian whom he had espoused previous to his flight from that country. Hitherto the position of Miriam had been one of great influence in the camp, and second only to that of Moses and Aaron, compare Micah 6 verse 4. To her, the arrival of the stranger was most unwelcome, and she feared she would now be deposed from her high position as a mother in Israel. Having, therefore, induced Aaron to share her views, she openly turned against Moses and maintained that he was not the sole expositor of Jehovah's will, that she and Aaron were of equal authority with him. Numbers 12, verses 1-4 through 4. With his wanted self-control, Moses was content to endure these reproaches in silence. But the Lord interposed to defend the honor of his servant. The pillar of cloud suddenly appeared before the tabernacle, and thither Aaron and Miriam were summoned together with Moses himself. There, in words of stern rebuke, the Lord denounced their hard speeches against his chosen servant. Very different was his position from that of an ordinary prophet, to whom the divine will might be made known by vision or dream. My servant Moses, said Jehovah, is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then, were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? With this vindication of the true position of the Hebrew leader, the cloud removed, and Aaron looked on Miriam, and behold, she had become leprous as white as snow. Thereupon Moses interceded for her, and the Lord promised that the judgment should not be permanent, but, as unclean, she must remain without the camp for seven days, during which period the host remained at Hazaroth. Numbers 12, verses 4 through 16. The days of her purification being ended, the Israelites resumed their march, and striking northwards across the plateau of the T, probably after several intermediate encampments, reached Kadesh, or Kadesh Barnea, Numbers 33, verse 36. This spot, whether identified with the spring of Ein Kudus, or with Ein Ashiheba south of Gibel al-Muhra, or with Ein Hwalbi in the Arba, was at the very gates of the Promised Land. It required but a strenuous and persevering effort to reach the final goal of their long journey. This effort Moses exhorted them to make, Deuteronomy 1, verses 20 and 21, bidding them not be afraid, but go up boldly and possess the land which the Lord God of their fathers had given them. On this, the people proposed, Deuteronomy 1, verse 22, that spies should first be sent to ascertain the best route, and what cities ought first to be attacked. Moses consented to this proposal, and with the divine concurrence selected twelve princes, one from each tribe, whom he exhorted to make a thorough search throughout the length and breadth of the land, and ascertain its character, its products, and its inhabitants. Deuteronomy 1, verse 23, and Numbers 13, verses 1 through 20. One of the select twelve was Hoshea, the valiant attendant of Moses, whose name was now changed to Jehoshua, or Joshua, God the Savior, a title which well became the future leader of the Israelitish hosts. It was now the time of the first ripe grapes, Numbers 13, verse 20, or the month of September. Setting out from the wilderness of Paran, the spies traversed the land as far north as Rahab on the way to Hamath, in the valley of the Orontes, which divides the ranges of Lebanon and anti-Lebanon. Then they ascended by the south and came to Hebron, where dwelt Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the gigantic sons of Anak. 
in a valley opening on the city, celebrated even now for its vineyards. They plucked pomegranates and figs in a bunch with one cluster of grapes of such enormous size that it required to be carried on a staff between two men, whence the valley was named Eshkol, or the Valley of the Cluster. With these proofs of the fertility of the land, after an absence of forty days, the spies returned and presented themselves in the camp at Kadesh before the hosts assembled to hear the report. The productiveness of the promised land, they said, was sufficiently attested by the fruits they had brought back. It was indeed a good land and flowed with milk and honey. But the people, it could not be denied, were strong and of great stature, and among them were the sons of Anak, before whom they themselves appeared as grasshoppers. Numbers 13, verse 33. They were proceeding to enumerate the chief tribes whom they had encountered when Caleb, the Kenizzite of the tribe of Judah, one of their number, anxious to dispel the feelings of despondency with which their report was received, broke in with the advice that the people should make an immediate attack and promised them speedy and certain success. But save the valiant Joshua, he found no other to support his brave counsels. The rest of the spies dwelt only on the dangers of the expedition, and their despondency found but too faithful an echo in the hearts of the people, who burst forth into lamentation, openly murmured against Moses and Aaron for having brought them thither, and even proposed to appoint a captain to lead them back into Egypt. In vain, Joshua and Caleb tried to calm the tumult and to check the mutiny. The host would listen to nothing and even threatened to stone them to death. But at this moment, the glory of Jehovah appeared before the tabernacle in the sight of the whole people. Terrible, though most just, was his wrath at the signal proof of faithlessness. In spite of all the signs and wonders he had wrought in their midst, he threatened to destroy them utterly with pestilence and make of Moses a nation greater and mightier than they. But as before on Sinai, so now that unselfish leader stood heroically in the gap. He pleaded earnestly with the justly offended Jehovah. He represented the joy the rejection of the people would cause to the Egyptians and the nations of Canaan, who had all heard of the mighty hand and the stretched out arm which had guided them through the wilderness. Finally, he appealed to the name which the Lord himself had proclaimed on the top of Sinai. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, and implored the forgiveness of the people. Numbers 14, verses 11 through 19. His prayer was heard. The Almighty assured him that the nation, as a nation, should be preserved. Their name should not be utterly blotted out. But save Joshua and Caleb, not one of that generation, which, in spite of the wonders they had seen in Egypt and in the wilderness, had refused to trust in God, should enter into the promised land. For them, all hope of entry was cut off. Everyone from twenty years old and upwards should die. Their carcasses should lie bleaching in the wilderness. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 5. While their children, whom they had deemed a certain prey for the Canaanites, should atone for their faithlessness by wandering forty years. A year for each day the spies had been engaged in searching out the land. Numbers 14 verses 33 and 34. As an earnest of this judgment, the ten spies, who by their faithless despondency had been the primary cause of the mutiny, were struck with instant death, and the command was given to the rest of the host to return into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. This announcement was received by the people with universal lamentation, and on the morrow they rose up, and in spite of the earnest exhortations of Moses, Deuteronomy 1, verses 42 and 43, and the ominous circumstance that the cloud had not removed from the tabernacle, made a wild rush up the steep and difficult path, probably as Sufa, 
leading into the uplands of southern Palestine, where they encountered the Amorites, Deuteronomy 1 verse 44, the highlanders of the mountains, and their old enemies, the Amalekites, Numbers 14 verse 45, by whom they were driven back, routed and discomfited as far as Hormah, Numbers 14 verses 20 through 45. End of Book 5, Chapter 1